0: Everyone and welcome to Star Wars Rebels Alert, the weekly podcast after show where we recap and discuss each and every episode of Star Wars Rebels season 4. I'm your host Tim. I'm Troy. And we're coming at you guys just a little bit late, about a week late than we had initially promised. This is my fault. This is all because I had to go on some business travel to China. So as we're recording here, I just got back on Saturday night. It's Sunday. And I'm all back asswards with my timing. So this is partially because we need to get this out and partially because I need to stay awake. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a bit of a whirlwind weekend. I was over in Beijing doing some business stuff, but I managed to get on the hunt a bit and see some crazy replicas and copycats and all that. It's pretty cool. We're going to get into that later on in the nerd room. But today we're here to talk about the first, what would be four episodes of Star Wars Rebels Season 4. The first thing I want to talk about quick, Troy, how do you feel about how they're presenting the episodes this season? Two episodes, two brand new episodes per week for the next six weeks or so, and it's not until we get to that last episode before they go on a short break that we actually just get a single episode for a normal Monday release.
1: Okay, so this is an ongoing uh, two-parter from here on in, yeah. basically, until Last Jedi? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's cool. That's different. That's kind of like Game of Thrones route. I think that's what Game of Thrones is kind of doing with the next season. But um, I like it. I think it works. You, You kind of get your... Your, your faulty episode and then you get your stronger episode i find they're, they're co- by combining those two together but that's not bad I, I like it it's a it's a bit of a change up but i mean this whole year has been a little different with the different uh time slot the different day yeah. it comes out and as long as well as the episodes being like an hour 40 minutes long so i can work with that for now at least
0: yeah yeah and they do come out on a funny day because i like the sunday night it was or saturday night it used to be last yes. year and now it's on a monday at, and they just switched it over to 9 p.m as well Right. which is a funny time zone i know they're constantly running these through repeats on disney xd but it seems a little weird that they've shifted this over to a 9 p.m monday slot i don't know if they're trying to capture a bit more of the adult audience that's what i was wondering yeah because it's certainly not in a time slot for for i guess what would be their key demographic yeah i think
1: so especially because I, I feel like maybe the audience has grown up a little bit that yeah. they've, they've captured kind of something like the, what they did with uh, clone wars which is basically why canceled because the audience kind of outgrew the show so i feel like by them moving it to the monday time slot it just seems like it's to go with the audience i guess yeah and maybe we're getting a darker season too who knows
0: interesting well we certainly haven't seen much of that dark season yet in these first four episodes We're going to kick the discussion off here with heroes of mandalore this is a four season premiere episodes and this is a back-to-back episode and it picks up on the mandalorian arc that we more or less left off with with sabine last season this is more or less Uh, an epilogue to season three, kind of wrapping up some of this Mandalorian arc. And the questions we had when we did our season four prelude episode was, what is going to happen with this Mandalore? How are they actually going to end it? Is it going to end up spinning into a new TV series, a comic book? And this episode in itself really doesn't tie anything up as far as I'm concerned. It gives you a little bit more and kind of wraps up a few things with Sabine, but overall it leaves it fairly open-ended.
1: Yeah, it really did, because I remember going back to last season of Rebels Alert here when we covered uh, the Mandalorian arc, we thought it was going to be maybe wrapped up in a novel or or some sort of maybe even a comic book. And they did it here, which is good. We got some uh, closure uh, for, I guess, Bo-Katan and and Sabine and and the whole um, Mandalorians, but I really felt like this episode... Both these episodes should have been in last season, season three. I feel like they just ran out of time because this feels disjointed, especially once we get to episodes three and four, which we'll get to later in this podcast. I really felt like this episode was just kind of misplaced. It should have been season three.
0: Yeah, there's a couple episodes I feel like you could have plucked out of season three and inserted these into, spread them over the entirety of the season and kind of get that resolution before the end of season three. Now, I understand what Filoni and crew were trying to do is create some mystery around, you know, or a question mark around Sabine and will she come back? We all knew she was coming back, yeah. but I guess they wanted to leave a bit of a cliffhanger there as to what was going to happen with her. How are they going to wrap up this Darksaber arc? And they yeah. do it here kind of, because as we kick into this episode, it gets right into the action. And this is the first season that I can remember that there's not really much of a time leap. There might be a month or two and that kind of gets reframed a bit with the second episode, the second two-parter episode, which aired this past week, because you kind of get a feeling for how long they were from Hera, or away yeah. from Hera. But in here, you don't really get much of a feeling that they were gone for long. It looks like Ezra and Kanan have jumped over to help the Mandalorians fight what would be the the new head of uh, clan Visla, right? Visla, right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's the brother now that's taking over the yeah, clan. Yeah,
0: it is the clan. Br- yeah brother there and he seems to be working directly for the empire as they were before but this seems a bit more ingrained than even his brother was in the the first or in season three there
1: yeah which was interesting because he felt very I can't remember the character's name but the brother um who's the head of the house now felt very villain of the week yeah I didn't really understand his motives Is just like I'm just the bad guy and you know I just want to wreak havoc over everything and it just—I didn't get enough out of that character, and I'm glad he's done. I mean, his whole thing's over, but it just felt like everything was a wrap-up with him. So it wasn't my favorite villain.
0: Well, the interesting in the thing is that they had this epic battle at the end of season three with the dark saber and Sabine wielding the lightsaber to kind of put that whole rivalry to rest, and then yes. we kind of shift to this season and we pick it right back up again. Like none of that mattered. Exactly. So that's you kind of gave you that closure there, and then it picks it right back up, trying to almost rush this arc to a conclusion.
1: Right. And it just didn't deliver on that end, Not no. on that epic scale that we got from the last time. Last exactly,
0: because that fight yeah. on the ice with the lightsaber and the darksaber and that duel to almost the death, right? Well, what yeah. would be the death, but... It's you didn't get that same. You're right. It's it's that villain of the week. We've inslotted his brother so we can continue this along. There's no mention. I don't remember, at least of a brother on that no. side of the battle. So it just seems like it was all a battle of convenience to kind of get this season going, but not get into the really good stuff until we get to episodes three and four.
1: Right. Yeah, I agree.
0: Which is kind of a weird structure because episodes three and four should have been the season premiere as far as I'm concerned. I, I completely
1: feel the same <laughs> way. I, I really do. Especially because you get that, Um, I know we're going to get there, but you get that that time between like Zeb and everybody. Like they haven't yeah. seen each other for a while. And I just felt like, whoa, this is a season premiere as opposed to here. I, I really felt like this could have just been in season three
0: yeah, and, and it's, gone unnoticed. It's one of those things too. Your season premieres always want to act as like an issue one or an issue zero to drag a new audience in. And what better way to do that with Episodes 3 and 4 than your first reference being Yavin, not a Mandalorian battle that, sure, most people that are watching this saw last season. But again, this is a part of Star Wars Rebels and a part of the Star Wars universe that me, personally, I'm not overly familiar with. So even when we get to see Lady Bo-Katan in here and the reference to Sistine, I know these characters because you watched the Clone Wars, not because I did. Right, And so you're making a lot of leaps there. And that reveal probably, again, should have been in Season 3. That would have made more sense to me.
1: Yeah, definitely, because I remember for the longest time there was all that speculation that people were wondering is that Lady uh, Bo-Katan underneath the helmet when we saw, I think, um, Sabim's mom in that cool yellow armor. People were wondering who could that be under the armor at one point. So, yeah, it feels a little misplaced.
0: Yeah, so for a guy that that spent the time and committed to Clone Wars, you have to give me a little bit of insight here as to Lady Bo-Katan and the reference to Satine, Satine and what that exactly meant for you as someone that was kind of on the inside of that.
1: Yeah, this was cool. This is great. This is, again, um, I think when we were talking before with Kyle, even, we were talking about how the Clone Wars didn't really get to finish where where it started. And we got, like, novels and we got comic books. And I feel like, again, they did their best they could by finishing some of the remaining stories from the Clone Wars. And this is cool that we got to see uh, Bo-Katan's story wrap up. She started off in the Clone Wars. She's the sister of uh, Satine there. And she basically wasn't always the good guy. She was on... The other house, she was on the opposing side. You could almost say she was a terrorist uh, at some point for the Mandalorians back then, but she kind of turned things around and she kind of became a lot better as, a, as an individual and then we didn't really get a conclusion to her so it's great that we got to see her kind of come back and she's wiser and mature and she really does have more of that leadership role so I, I, was, I really do like how they concluded her getting the saber and taking that mantle of, of the leader I think that was pretty cool
0: yeah it seemed like a fitting way to end it all and again not having that Clone Wars background it all seemed to make sense But at the same time, it was a bit rushed, I felt. I felt like right as we get through this first battle, Sabine immediately tries to hand over the Darksaber. So you don't really get an impression, or at least you needed a bit more of that impression, I guess, that they had been fighting for a lot longer with Sabine, not a couple months. Because she seems, through this whole episode, very eager to pass off the Darksaber and kind of relinquish that responsibility yeah
1: which i thought was weird because in season three there's a huge build-up to that dark saber and the training that she had with Kanan. that whole episode just built up so much and added so much weight to the the importance of sabine holding that dark saber so to see her just give it off so easily and she she seemed very adamant of giving away that lightsaber or the dark saber it just kind of struck me a little off
0: yeah it did i agree it just seemed like they're just like okay, we got to get through this. It's kind of a cool story. We maybe should have wrapped this up earlier, but she's (laughs) got to pass this Darksaber off and and kind of put a new heir to Mandalore or give up that mantle so we can get back to the Rebels proper. It it just seemed this whole episode was like that. Now, the meat of it, I guess, isn't as rushed as I think this first part was because once we get into the story here, it's they're chasing what would be Sabine's father and we get reference to this weapon here. And throughout the first part of this episode, we get a really nice chase battle with uh the speeder bikes and them kind of hopping around there and Kanan doing these big leaps and there's a lot of good action in this in this first part. We even get the kind of cap shield with Sabine at right. one point when they're firing at her here. <laughs> and overall it's it's a lot of fun. But did you find throughout this whole episode just shaking your head at Ezra?
1: Um, he wasn't the only one I was shaking my head at. I was shaking my head at with uh with Ezra because I thought the goofiness of the of the rocket it just wasn't working for me with no. him trying to figure out how to use the rocket pack. I'd just rather him not be in the rocket pack. You know, I I liked how he had that maneuver when he was jumping from, I think it was like ship to ship as he tried climbing that mountain, that mountain, yeah. like that cliff. I thought that was cool, but I don't want to see Ezra really in a rocket pack. I think it's kind of goofy. And another character I shook my head at a lot was Sabim's dad. He kind of seemed kind of like a little bit of a, a goofball. Yeah. He wasn't goofy, but he just didn't seem like he had like that Mandalorian spirit. He didn't seem very tough like everybody else around him, like his son like his wife and like Sabine, he seemed kind of just like in the background and especially because they kind of built him up. We didn't get to see him at all in season three. So we see his character in season four as just kind of like, he's a Mandalorian, really?
0: Yeah, well, they <laughs> play him as more of the politician yes. than anything, right? And that's something, again, that's another layer of of the Mandalorians that i have not familiar with. Never it's seen
1: a, before. Yeah, the yeah.
0: politician. And because he goes on and it's a nice tie because it it explains why Sabine relates so much to art. And it seems like her dad was fighting with his art, fighting with propaganda. Right. And that's why he's viewed as someone important in all this. But again, I agree with you. He was kind of a character that I was thinking, was he in season three? I don't remember him. And then I'm thinking, okay, maybe yeah. he's got some importance going back into Clone Wars. But all of it, again, it just seems somewhat disjointed. It seems like it was a couple of episodes from a completely different show that were inserted into this. And it left me confused a bit, and I'm sure it left a lot of people confused about the relationship of the mother and the father and how important he was. You didn't really ever get the stakes behind it because you didn't recognize or relate to any of the characters.
1: Yeah, especially when it comes to the end of part one of this episode where you're left to believe that Sabim's mom and brother have been killed. Sabim's, you know, damn near in tears. And the dad's just kind of there in the background just like, no, it doesn't really care, so it happens, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Which is, it was. I don't want to nitpick too much at this uh, this episode, but that's also another downfall. I, I thought we actually made a commitment there that they killed the brother and the mother, and I was like, Whoa, we're going like all the way here. This is this is Clone Wars, this is you know, this is why it's been moved to 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 a Monday time slot. And sure enough, we get into the next episode, and no, everything's okay. They got the warning, and
0: yeah, we made it out. And, yeah, well, shoot. I, I agree with you. I thought they were going that way. I had written yeah. in my notes here, like, mother and brother killed. This is a very intense scene where you're seeing people literally get disintegrated within their suits. Yeah. And we've, we, this is also where we finally get the reveal of this weapon they've been teasing for a long time that Sabine created while she was at the Empirical Academy. And it was kind of meant to kill Mandalorians. and. Yeah. I, I swear, man, throughout these entire two episodes, as soon as they revealed that the weapon in itself targeted the Mandalorian armor, I thought, okay, here we go. This is why we see almost no Mandalorians in the original trilogy, is that they were essentially exterminated in this episode. Yes. Now, that's going very, very dark, but on a like genocidal level. <laughs> but... I thought they were going that way at the end of episode one. I thought they had killed the mom and the brother. And this was going to be the explanation as to why we don't see them show up as Scarif or what is presumably going to be the Battle of Lothal, or any time during what would be the entirety of the original trilogy. Because if Sabine is with the Rebellion at this point, which we know from the next episode, what's to stop her from calling up her family and saying... This is the last stand of the rebellion at Yavin. This is the first stand of the rebellion at Scarif. Let's get there. Bring yeah. everybody. Yeah, you know, I really like that idea that you brought up. And and this is what kind of worries
1: me is I feel like sometimes in the show, they have an opportunity to dismiss some things and, and lead us into the OG trilogy. And they don't. Yeah. You know, they, they leave things dangling. Ahsoka's death, they didn't make it official so now they made it harder for them to explain that situation the mandalorians we've just mentioned where are they in the original trilogy well they just had an option to get rid of them like you just mentioned which i like that idea but they haven't so that's going to be even another harder situation to handle so i feel like there's some things unless they have some master plan that we don't know about obviously how they clean all this up they're kind of starting to run out of time here yeah and i think yeah i guess we have to see
0: yeah, we will. Like, I thought that was an easy way out. It's, it's yep. a pretty devastating way out and maybe not appropriate for a children's show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it was a way out. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. And it was graphic. When they actually showed the demonstration yeah. of what happens, whoa, crazy.
0: Yeah, it's pretty wild. I just yeah. realized we said Clan Visla. it's Clan Saxon is the enemy. Gar Saxon.
1: Gar Saxon. Yes. Okay. And
0: it's his, his brother is, yeah, the main leader of this, this new, what would be more or less Empire clan
1: right yeah basically which is another thing i don't really like which i'm glad they they kind of turned it around like the one soldier underneath him kind of even spoke out like is this for the mandalorians or the empire basically because it just felt like the mandalorians should be separate they should really just be under the empire yeah. so i'm kind of glad what they did there how they resolved that issue
0: you know? yeah it was cool he kind of went off the deep end and the the soldier under him questioning him being like yeah this doesn't seem right if the empire gets us he's gonna kill or at least control all of us with this weapon Right. And he's going on about fear will control the rest of the Mandalorian clans, and that's why he wants this. But again, it feels very much like a puppet just put yeah. into place to kind of get through the majority of this episode. Definitely. Yeah. And then over the battles in here, once we get into what would be, I guess, some sort of, after they capture Sabine here, um, they end up revealing the mother and brother are Fine, and we get into what is more or less this final battle, and then Sabine recalibrates this to the stormtroopers. And this is something that they were asking her to do before, and she does throughout this episode. And it kind of dust settles a bit here. We see a little bit of a dark streak in Sabine, which seems to be a bit of a theme going into episodes three and four as well with her and Ezra, is that they're starting to question the battle tactics, this morality of the rebellion versus the Empire. And I like that they're doing with both of these young characters in these shows, is that you see her kind of turning up the juice on this thing and they're saying okay sabine that's enough and you know she's got a little bit of a dark streak in her
1: well that's the cool thing i like actually in both parts of these um i think is in these episodes even kanan's kind of had enough of the battle yeah he's kind of ready to just you know let's let's kind of move on with the lives but hera still wants to put up the fight Um, and then like you mentioned sabine's even going a little deeper a little darker with her tactics so i do like that they're kind of questioning that because i mean this is the fourth season so this is the You know, they've been in the battle for about four years, at least Ezra and Sabine. Well, Sabine even longer. The war is about to, you know, kind of uh, have its way with you. And you're going to kind of start thinking about things differently of how to win.
0: Yeah, so I yeah like that. you can only be on the, the losing end or the end where you're losing friends and family for so long, right? Yeah, like there's nice references throughout this episode, too, about how Mandalore used to be this lush place. And it was completely decimated by war, hundreds and hundreds of years of war between each other, between them and the Empire. And you're starting to see that that war weariness way on Sabine, way on Kanan, way on Ezra, because Kanan earlier on this episode is outright blunt about his relationship or what he feels to Hera so this yep. is something that they've been teasing for three seasons, and now they're just in this first episode of the season, just like, yep, you know exactly how I feel. Like it's it's the, almost the audience speaking to Hera and being like, look, this dude loves you. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's time to break free of all this, <laughs> yeah. and you're starting yeah. to see that that strain of war on all these characters, and I like what they're doing.
1: I really like that. I think that's what, actually one of the strengths of what they've been doing so far. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And as this episode close out, we have Sabine again offering and giving the dark saber to Lady Bo-Katan, and this is meant. For her to unite all the clans of Mandalore. And Sabine does make a decision that she will be heading back into the Rebellion. And this whole arc, it seems like it's heading towards a comic book or a novel. Because it just ends. There's really no closure on the battle. And there's no closure on the Darksaber, for me at least, and Lady Bo-Katan. What are they going to do here? Would you prefer to see this in a maybe... Five or 10 episode single one shot series, or a comic book or a novel. It just, to me, it doesn't suit a novel. You need something graphically for the Mandalorians here. What are your thoughts on how they continue this? And if they continue this in the season? Yeah, I, I definitely think maybe because when you're dealing with Mandalorians and you're going to have a
1: full out battle, I think it's going to get pretty, pretty brutal. And I just still think the platform would be Disney XD. So I would say a comic book. But the thing is, with a comic book, they only do, with these kind of things, maybe a five-part run. Yeah. And I just don't think that's enough time for something like a like a Mandalorian battle, especially if this is going to explain where they are throughout the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. So a, a novel could be kind of cool if it's like, I don't know, if it's, it's James Luceno, you know, yeah. or give me one of those guys, or Paulus Kemp. Paulus Kemp, who did Lords of the Sith, I'd love to hear his take on the Mandalorian Wars You know, I think that'd be kind of cool actually. Just give me a novel and and make, you know, Bo Katan the the lead with the Darksaber, I would actually be all up for that. Yeah. So I think a novel or comic book, but I am leaning more towards a novel just for the length of what they need to
0: do. You feel they need a little bit more storytelling time.
1: For sure. Uh, For sure.
0: I think we mentioned this before on the prelude episode, but you could almost do with the Mandalorians a, a parallel story or two parallel stories where you have where you're telling the past. And as the past progresses, you're also telling a future story, and both of them relate each it relate to each other. Cause I really thought they're gonna spend more time wrapping up the Mandalorian arc in this episode. And I felt like they teased more. They were teasing the history, they're teasing about them still existing and a foregoing story, and they left it loose. So to yeah. me, they're just leaving their options open. They're not really closing much out. We thought this is gonna be an episode or a season of closure, but again going back to a prelude episode at the same time we felt like they're going to leave a lot of threads dangling to pick up another media which might be the right thing to do but this first two episodes as far as the season opener it brought no closure for me
1: yeah no no i agree especially i mean even season three they teased that one uh the first mandalorian jedi with yeah dark saber I'd love to hear more about that character. You know, so like you mentioned, if they did a book where it's like a flashback and a flash forward, all leading down like a, a a driving story together, I think that'd be pretty cool.
0: Yeah. I think that's the way to go. I think that's what they've left themselves open to do. Yeah. And And it might be about leaving themselves some optionality at the end of the day. You have these great characters, a lot of great stories and you could build yourself in some subsequent arcs as these stories or as Rebels wraps up. And you kind of yep. say, hey, we can pick this up in a comic book or a novel or whatever. Definitely. Overall. So overall, thoughts on the first two episodes of season four?
1: Um, yeah. I didn't really like one much Uh uh, episode two was a little bit better, except for the fact that we did get the conclusion of that the mom and brother like light lived. So I really didn't like what they did there. But all around with it, both of them together, it's 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 not that great in my opinion. Yeah. It's one of my weaker uh, Rebels episodes, I would say.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree Especially with
1: Especially for a season premiere.
0: Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. I think in the slot of a season premiere, yeah. it falls short. I think buried inside maybe the mid-season finale or something to that effect or somewhere, maybe episodes five and six, this probably would have been, been a bit more better suited where you kind of do episodes one, two, three, and four, leave yourself a little cliffhanger at four, break for the Mandalorian arc, and then come back in a big way to wrap up until your mid-season finale. I felt yeah. it's just a placement of this because this really could have fallen anywhere. There's no real hard strings to this that makes it have to be the first two episodes of the season. This could easily sit really anywhere. It could have been Kanan and Ezra off on another mission to go pick Sabine back up after you have the first what will be in the name of the Rebellion first parts as your season opener. So I think to me, it's an okay episode, but the placement isn't right.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: There we go. And we're going to roll, as we like to do these more short form, we're going to roll into In the Name of the Rebellion, Parts 1 and 2, Episodes 3 and 4 of Season 4. Now, to me, this is your season premiere. Yeah. Because you roll directly into this episode coming up on Yavin 4. we got the big red planet there to the other side, and we're rolling up onto the moon. And out of hyperspace comes a Mandalorian ship. And this great explanation that the remnants of Phoenix Squad are now part of this much bigger cell. We pull into Yavin base, and wow, you've got Y-Wings and A-Wings sitting there. you got Zeb's first appearance in this season. This is a huge opener for me. It really relates hard into Rogue One and into a New Hope. This feels like Star Wars here. This should have been the opening scene to the season.
1: Oh, this is great. You know, like Zeb's just like welcoming everybody back into the show, the whole crew's back together. And I just feel like, man, this is this is Star Wars. Just to know that Ezra and these guys have walked through the same place that Luke and all these other guys have been on the advent. I think it's yeah, it's so great. You know, it just kind of ties everything together. And I think we've needed more of this, especially coming down to the final season. Uh Hera makes a cool appearance, you know, coming off of another mission.
0: Yeah, coming in you know, hot
1: yeah which i just think is so cool because these guys are all doing other missions and other things at the same time and then we see wedge pop up so yeah. i was just like man this this is the this is the uh, season premiere i needed exactly. and then get rex i felt bad for rex because rex kind of has like the same dirty armor you know yeah. everybody was kind of clean and crisp and i'm like ah nobody gave rex any new armor
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah man i totally agree with you like you get the whole crew back together here, season premiere material written all over this. I love, yeah, Hera coming in in the Y-Wings, especially with Wedge coming in from a hot mission here, and it's just the, the whole crew, like you said, having them on Yavin, especially when we know we get Chopper and Hera mentioned on Yavin in yeah. Rogue One, this is so significant to the story of Star Wars, because, yeah, we have all these characters we've followed for the last three, four years on Yavin base. With Mon Mothma, with General Dodana, with a hologram of Bail Organa. Like, this is fantastic. In the same spot where Jin Erso stood later on in Rogue One, where they debated about going to the first Battle of Scarif with Raddus. Like, there's so much significance around that war room table. And to have all these characters standing around it now? Brilliant.
1: It's so cool. It's like, you know, Yavin to me is like Madison Square Gardens. This is where like the greats have all come. And I just think it's so fitting and so cool that they do this in the final season.
0: Yeah, because like everyone that we know and love, for the most part, in Star Wars has made an appearance on Yavin. Like Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Chewie, Leia, everybody has been there at one point or another. And it's just such a significant nexus for Star Wars. So cool. Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) Okay, I gotta get this out of the way. Yeah. What are your thoughts on hot callus <laughs> you know what
1: <laughs> he, he
0: he looks like a
1: like saber tooth. when i saw this guy come down <laughs> yes. like, like like a prettier saber tooth but it's uh it's it's different
0: it's different yeah. but
1: um it, it's good to see him. He, he joined the crew he's fully committed and uh i really do like the addition of him joining the whole rebel lines.
0: yeah yeah, yeah, me too. I think it's an appropriate way. I just the way he strolled up when the whole ghost crew, he kind of like rolls in with his hair all shady and big mutton chops. It's like, yes, I hope he, I hope he has a significant arc because he came in like he was going to have or uh, play a big part in this episode. And He kind of imparts a bit of wisdom from his days as part of the Empire and then just steps back from this episode.
1: Yeah yeah K- Kanan has to step his game up or else uh, Hera might be all
0: over that yeah <laughs> I don't know he has a lot going for him <laughs> yeah and he's fully in in the rebellion now Hera yeah. might see you know I you right? you like this guy <laughs> <laughs> one of the I think best parts about this these two episodes here is we get a lot of explanation of Saw Drera yes and I love him coming back in this episode and you get it right away here that this feeling of extremism and why they don't deal with them and they're also questioning, though, and this comes back to Ezra and Sabine as well. They're questioning as to why Saw's group of partisans had better intel than the rebellion did, because he had kind of reveals later on that he had communicated to them that they were going to get this inter they were going to get intercepted, and then their their team was going to come under fire, and that does happen. And then we start to see this kind of apprehension of Mon Mothma to use Saw Gerrera, like we saw in season three, and like we see in Rogue One as well. And this idea of mistreating prisoners and killing civilians and killing people who have surrendered. So they start to really give an explanation as to why the Rebellion does not align with Saw Gerrera's partisans. I,
1: yeah, I, I love... Um, this is the best incarnation incarnation we've had of this character, Saw Gerrera. Next to the Clone Wars, I love what they did here with this character. Because I feel like we were needing this in... Um, Rogue One and I feel like they couldn't really do too much with him in last season no. but the presence he makes here is great and you know what again going back to um, basically the beliefs of Ezra and Sabim from the last episodes how they're kind of questioning things this makes sense to be throwing an option like Saw who's just he's out to get things done and it doesn't matter who's in his way whereas Mon Mothma kind of taking a step back and she's more you know tactical but Saw's just out there and he's in this war and he's doing it so I really do like how they partnered them up I actually think Ezra and uh, Sabim and Saw actually made a pretty good team Yeah. despite what he did later yeah. on they were working pretty well together and that hologram pops up and they have some words between her, uh, him and, um, Bothman. I love it. That's actually one of my highlights.
0: Yeah. That's this episode. That's a big moment Mm -hmm. when he pops up there and starts to question her. I thought it was like a a Skype, just a message, but then they actually start communicating back and forth. And this is when she starts to reveal where their major misalignment is and how he's not much different from the empire. Right. And he makes this one quote is that the empire considers us both criminals, but at least he acts like one.
1: Yes. Oh, ah, yeah. I love that. I love that. He's, you know, he's extreme and he, you know, he, he in many ways, he is a pupil of Anakin. Anakin kind of let him down this route in some ways. He trained him from Clone Wars and this is kind of the uh, the aftermath of Saw Gerrera where he is now. So he has those kind of ruthless, cutless uh, ways about him. And I just think we got a major payoff in this episode.
0: Oh, I agree. And he looks much more like Forrest Whitaker. Both both in actor appearance as well as the portrayal that Forrest Whitaker gave in Rogue One. You're starting to see him develop a bit of this crazy conspiracy theory kind of, but no one's really believing him, but he's really playing and it's a lot in the voice acting in that as coming off as this like crazy tinfoil hat type dude.
1: Right, because he's even giggling in some of his speeches. Yeah. You know, there's a little he's a little loose. Is, Is it Forrest Whitaker that does voice act him in this one?
0: If it's not, it's someone doing him very well. Because right. it sounds exactly like him, it.
1: it really does. And and see, that was one of my problems with Rogue One is I felt like uh, Force Whitaker, as great of an actor as he is, um, Oscar winning, I believe, but he felt too theatrical for me in Rogue One. But on the cartoon, animated, it works so well; it's yeah. it's better for me. So, uh, man, really love what they did with that guy.
0: Yeah, they, they do some, and we'll get into it as far as the rest of the episode. But yeah. this, this whole first introduction, I really like it. It's like challenging Mon Mothma. Yes. And this is where you see a nice exchange too, between Kanan and Ezra, where Ezra's seeing a bit as to what Saw is doing. And you remember this line from, I think it was the second or th- the first or second trailer where Kanan is asking, you know, it's not, or when Ezra is questioning Kanan and Kanan says, it's not whether we fight, it's how we choose to fight. And Ezra says, maybe we're choosing the wrong way. Now, I believe when we talked about this line from the trailer, we we're thinking about more of it from a philosophical level of Canaan no longer wanting to fight the fight with the rebellion. But this is actually a bit more simplified, and it's more related to Ezra than I thought it was for Canaan, because it's, it's Ezra walking, again, this fine line. We see Ezra continue to be influenced by people who don't necessarily align with the ideology of, of, well, say the good guys or of even a Jedi. He fell victim to Maul and he felt somewhat victim or he's falling victim a bit to Saw in this episode.
1: Those are some good points. <laughs> yeah, those are good points. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Ezra seems to be drawn into those those kind of characters. Yes. Those guys with that kind of principle, right? Yeah. Which, which
0: makes you question a bit Ezra because he's supposed to be this altruistic Jedi. But again, he hasn't... He's been trained by Kanan, but he's I guess he's always walked this this really fine line between light and dark. Yeah. And again we're seeing it here. And I, I like what they do with Ezra in this episode. We go from this bumbling Ezra, who's kind of <laughs> the comic relief of the first two episodes, yeah. into a character that's having deep conversation with both Mon Mothma and Kanan about the actual tactics of the rebellion. So it's it's this weird jumping in character development and progression for Ezra here. Like, how do you go from messing around with a rocket pack to having a deep conversation with Mon Mothma about why they choose which planets? Like, they're mentioning Chandrila and Ryloth and Underon here, and it's Ezra having this this huge conversation with the leader of the Rebellion. It seems so disjointed from the previous two episodes. Well, and that's
1: the thing, and you and I have mentioned that countless amount of times going back to uh, last season, there's major inconsistencies with Ezra, whether he's dark one minute and then he's light the next, he's the comedic relief the next time. And then he's a Lieutenant after yeah. like, you know, he's kind of all over the place. And I, I really feel like now more than ever, this is the time when they need to tighten up this character's characteristics, because yeah. I don't think he should be the comedic relief. I think they really need to buckle down on this character and give him a, like a drive or a place where he needs to be.
0: Yeah. Cause they're, they're setting themselves up for leaving this character. So ambiguous Mm-hmm. That when, if he dies or changes into something, I've got a theory they're going to drop here. But Oh, nice. Um, All right. I, I, I want them to have a definitive Ezra by the time we get to the end of season four. And these first four episodes, I'm seeing two totally different characters. Right. And like you said, they gotta rein this character in and just put him on a path. Whether it's the guy that's questioning everything, that's fine. He can be that guy, but he can't also be the bumbling comedic relief every once in a while. He's right. supposed to be this next level Jedi, mm-hmm. and like you said, a lieutenant, someone that has a lot of insight as to the battle tactics and what's going on. But yeah, I just not seeing that consistency, and I need a little bit more of that.
1: Yeah, no, I'm right there with you.
0: Yeah, because this whole episode even more so outside of ezra and sabine it's about questioning what is the right thing even Hera, who is the heart of phoenix squadron who looks to be the heart of this whole rebel cell starts to question their tactics she wants to go down the path of fighting with saw of Mm -hmm. going after the empire the same way they're going after them because she's frustrated with some of her Team dying with the the Y wings being damaged and putting her crew at risk. So it's even the best of them are questioning the tactics of the rebellion. And I I really like that because even into Rogue One you see the disconnect between the different factions on how to fight. You've got the more militaristic in the Mon Calamari and radis You've got the very reserved groups, and then you've got people that are set in between. And so I like still seeing that fractured nature of the rebellion and having Hera being one that questions it i think is a good play on her character
1: yeah and w- which is great too because i think as an audience that's what we're kind of feeling like too right even though we do know initially the outcome of the rebel the, the rebels the rebels uh the rebels we do know where they end up but i feel like it's kind of speaking for us at this point in time too of which way are you going to fight yeah and how are you going to do it especially with mom mothwa because going off of I think Lost Stars and what we've seen in all the movies and whatnot, and even Rogue One, she's been very reserved. We haven't really seen her, you know, kind of strike yet. She kind of had a little close call with Saw, basically, when she said, just cut the tape, I'm done. But we haven't really seen her rise yet, right? If that ever happens.
0: That's the first time we've seen any emotion out of her. Exactly. Realistically, like she's always so calm and reserved and very Mm soft-spoken. And here it starts to build as Saw gets under her skin because he even questions her at one point and asked her what she's afraid of, Senator, the truth. So that really made me question whether he was, you know, if there's something more with Mon, or if she's afraid of the truth as to exactly what she is, and that's a leader of what can be, in all sense of the purpose, called the terrorist organization. Oh, yeah. So is she afraid of the truth of what she actually is? Like, she may be doing what is right, but how she looks and how she's portrayed... like he said he called them both criminals yeah and that's how they're portrayed to the majority of the galaxy and she's the leader of this organization so it's exactly it's it's how you want to accept that position and i think that's why mon ends up rising to the top of all this as we go into the aftermath and all that because she is the altruistic person that she's been portrayed to be through all of the Star Wars continuity. But it's it's nice to see that everyone is questioning everything at this point in time because like they said, they're not ready for open war at this point. But as Ezra puts it, they're probably already and they are already at war. Yeah. Yeah. So and as we jump into the guts of these last episode that back half of this episode into episode two we finally get the ghost crew the full crew the original crew going out on a mission we've got Sabine Ezra Zeb Kane and Hera and Chopper nice to see the crew back together again here they're kind of going out to to put a stop to what is this um uh, what do you call it relay station that's it's allowing them to be their their battle plans to be cut off a lot quicker because they can relay messages to the empire a lot faster and it's a nice scene here we've got Sabina and Ezra and Chopper pulling a Captain America and leaping out. That's all I could think of, man. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it, yeah. <laughs> Them leaping. Two
1: Captain America references. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Both two episodes. I really like what they're doing here. It's, it's a fun kind of first take. I love having the crew back together. Um, but it, it takes a quick spin, actually. And, and we go into the arrival of Saw once the mission becomes compromised. And Saw arrives in a U-Wing, which I think is really cool. A nice Rogue One reference. I believe this is the first time we're seeing the U-Wings in Rebels as well. So okay. I really, really like that. And we've got two tubes as well that comes in oh, with Saw.
1: I thought that was great
0: because we didn't get enough two tubes in uh, Rogue One. No, we He's did such not.
1: Character. a cool character.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. And what did you think here of this nice sequence where you've got Kanan guiding Hera? with the Force up and down through the fog of these mountains. This is a beautifully shot scene.
1: This is incredible. Actually, right from that, that Captain America moment you mentioned, the animation is unreal. Yeah. It is so good, so fluent and crisp. And yeah, when Kanan's guiding her through, I thought that was so cool and such a great way to make use of Kanan's situation and being a Jedi, but yeah. still involving the ship battles, but being like on the surface, not being in space, the whole thing was incredible.
0: Yeah, I got a real vibe and and reminiscence of the asteroid chase scene in Empire for some reason there. I I don't know why. I just got... I think that's the scene I must be thinking of because I, I feel like I was like, this feels familiar to me. This feels, again, like Star Wars. And I, I right. really enjoy that. I actually rewound that and out twice.
1: Nice. Yeah, I know. It's, it's great. I love that. And then we get, you know, like some James Bond stuff going on on the satellite dish. Yeah. You know, some action scenes. So, that's yeah, cool.
0: Yeah, we get Chopper all painted up. And, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was overall a fun scene. But it really drives into part two of this where we have Saw more or less kidnapping maybe willfully kidnapping willfully yeah. <laughs> Sabine and Ezra after he just rolls out these missiles or whatever they are these bombs and blows up this satellite thing so again showing a bit extremism here but it's yeah. interesting how Sabine and Ezra really don't put up much of a fight here because we saw Sabine's dark side in the first two episodes we saw a bit of Ezra questioning it in the first part of this And I like that they go off of Saw here. It's a really interesting dynamic. And Hera says it right out. It's not that she's worried about the two of them. It's worried she's worried about who they're with, the influence that he can have on these two. Because at this point in time, they seem like they're both very influential characters. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I would say so. Like we have mentioned, they were basically fatigued of their tactics throughout this whole war and they're looking for something different. And Saw's the guy that can do it for them. And I, I think the partnership was cool. Is a really good take, but as a lesson that they needed to learn is something they kind of needed to do on their yeah. own and realize this isn't the way they're going to go, at least for now with Ezra.
0: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the thing, too, that I really like about this is that we get a lot of Rogue One... And Death Star references in the back half of this episode. It's a lot about the Death Star, and you know they, they got these technicians, these energy technicians that are the prisoners here. We get mention of Krennic. We've got the Death Troopers as well. I'm really loving the vibe of this episode as we go into this civilian transport that they're infiltrating to see exactly what's on here. And tell me how much you love this scene when Ezra walks onto that ship and he hears the singing Kyber.
1: Oh, that was so cool. This, to me, was a uh, catalyst. Yes. I got the whole catalyst vibe, you know, with, like you mentioned, the engineers working on, on on the kyber crystals and then the singing of the crystal itself and Ezra picking up that vibe. And it just, oh, man, I thought that was so cool. Yeah. So cool.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's in too, what reminded me of Ahsoka, the book, the singing yep. of the kybers. Of course. Uh, and just the fact that Sabine doesn't hear it. And right there, anyone who knows anything like about the Kybers and all that. It was just this beautiful, beautiful just moment. But one question I had, do all Kybers sing or do they only sing or can only the people that are meant for them hear them? That was my only question about it.
1: I'm pretty sure if you're Force-sensitive because um, Jin Erso's mother, which they they toyed with the idea before they even created her, whether they want to make her a Jedi or not. But I believe we're meant to believe that she was uh, Force-sensitive of some sort. And I think she could hear, I'm pretty sure in the book, Catalyst, she could hear uh, when they go to the planet, she could hear the um, the sounds. Okay, of,
0: I don't remember uh, that. When she's, yeah, I thought
1: yeah. When, she, when she teamed up with um, Buddy, I forgot their names, there's so many different names, but she teamed up with the guy that ended up saving them at one point. Um, I know,
0: yeah, it's that, yeah, the mercenary guy. I know exactly. What yeah,
1: about. yeah, like the prune face guy or whatever. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, I believe she could hear it then. And then obviously, when you go back to the Ahsoka book, when she goes to, uh, was it Elam? Illum, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she could hear it as well. So I thought it was Force-sensitive. Um, but Maybe, um, yeah. but obviously only um, Ezra would hear it at that yeah. point because he, he's a Jedi. So it's such a great callback just to tie all those tissues.
0: Yeah, and you get together. to see the giant Kyber crystal and mention uh, of Jeddah as well. Oh, I freaking love that, man. That was that's crazy. so good. But the only thing that bothered me a little bit about this is the Death Troopers. Now, mm-hmm. they're really cool-looking. They're yeah. quite imposing, but even in Rogue One, they felt a bit misused. They didn't have this prowess that they should. And then when you get into this episode, Saw and Sabine and Ezra make quick work of a whole squad. Yeah. And then they flip off that weird jabber that they have. That's a bit scary. And it's yeah. just this English dude talking. Yeah, that, that, that's weird. I, it's very like that scene was very like Batman, like
1: you know, with the with the smoke flares going yeah. on and they're taking them out, which is cool, but. These death troopers are so opposing. I, I wonder when we're gonna get to the point, and this is just nitpicking both Star Wars, where we're gonna get like the elite of the elite troopers. Cause I feel like we get these troopers that are meant to be more elite than the others, but at the end of the day, they're all kind of the same. Yeah. You know, I don't know what their the Inferno squad's like. I've yet to play Battlefront or or pick up that book. But I felt like the way we we saw these um these death troopers, they were just meant to be the best of the best. And even a little bit for Rogue One, You know that beginning scene with them and Krennic, I thought they were a little imposing. But still, I thought here they would have done a little bit more of a fight, put up more of a fight with these three rebels. So. Yeah,
0: you never get the feeling to me that these guys are, like you said, any more superior to your average stormtrooper. Yeah. Which they should be. They're the ones guarding the Kyber, right? They're exactly. ones guarding what is the, the members of the Tarkin Initiative. And right. I just never get this feeling that they're anything more... Than just these goofballs, <laughs> realistically, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I forgot to mention here, I can't remember exactly where it is in the episode, but we do get the release of the TIE Defenders when Hera and Kanan are coming to rescue um, Ezra and Sabine. That's where they end up going through this kind of fog scene and all that. Now, this is the initiative that Thrawn's been in charge of throughout the back end of season three. And what do you think of seeing these Tide Defenders? Again, they're supposed to be these superimposing ships, but they make fairly easy work of them. We saw them a bit in season three, but they're supposed to be what's going nose to nose with what will be the X-Wings at some point and what they're trying to destroy on Lothal eventually with the Battle of Lothal. But again, I never got the feeling that these Tie Defenders were flown by superior pilots that they were any more superior than tie fighters so to me again maybe a little bit of a missed opportunity they just maybe should have had regular tie fighters in there and waited for the defenders a little bit down the line when they can actually destroy the ship because they can't touch the ghost right they can't right. touch these characters but if you have them debut and take out a whole squad of y-wings it gives you a bit more of that, that threat assessment for these tie defenders and why it's so important to go to Lothal Outside of all these other planets that Mon Mothma says we have to choose where we go wisely because we can't rescue everyone,
1: right? Yeah, no. I, I thought it's kind of a waste opportunity. I thought it was just a kind of a way to show like we have Tie Defenders. It is Tie Defenders, right? Yeah, yeah. As opposed to just throwing in your regular Tie Fighters, so I thought it's like it's cool to see, but they didn't really again like the Death Troopers. They didn't really no. carry the weight of the presence. They didn't, you know, they didn't really hmm. deliver. In my opinion,
0: no, they should have waited. I think with both of them. Yeah. and made them or give them that that imposing feel that they've been talked or should have right right so i, I don't know I, again nitpick there it's slight wasted opportunity i think to have something a bit more simple and develop these these death troopers or the tie defenders a little bit further down in the season
1: no i completely agree
0: yeah there we go yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, as Saw Gerrera gets to the point where, again, I, I like calling him this tinfoil hat wearing type guy that is <laughs> actually right, this conspiracy theorist, Yeah. but he gets to the point where he stuns Ezra and Sabine and they have a nice discussion once they wake up and once he frees them because he ends up destroying the Kyber and they've got going back and forth and, and Ezra kind of sees the light a bit here about what Saw is doing, his tactics, because he wanted no part in rescuing the civilians there or the, the scientists. He just Take wanted to no, he just, if they're dead, they're dead, nothing off my skin. And it's more, if the empire doesn't have them all, the better that they're dead. Right. And there's an interesting quote in here from, from Ezra. He says, you fight your fight. We'll fight ours. And you get this cool little laugh from saw. And he says, farewell friend. I hope we meet again. Now here's where my theory is going to come in. Now this again, Sometimes I like to throw a wild ass series on the table that probably lead nowhere <laughs> and may make me sound like a fool later on down the road. But, okay, look at how Ezra saw some of the value in, in Saw's tactics. What are your thoughts on Ezra becoming a partisan and one particular partisan? And that's the one that's standing with the black biker scout helmet in Rogue One. If you remember when they bring the pilot to Two Tubes, there's a row of characters, and on the end, there's one guy standing there with a black Biker Scout helmet, same style that Ezra has on in this episode, but it's just all black. Oh, really? Yeah. Shoot. It, it seems like a real step Whoa. down for Ezra. Yeah. Like in, in the ranks, but is it possible that Ezra goes off with Saw at some point and wants to fight more of his fight i don't know
1: that would be that would be interesting well you know that, that's funny because Ezra in some ways in some ways kind of has a bit of that that Anakin in him and saw somebody that was raised basically by Anakin. So I could see the connection between the two of them. He could maybe see the same thing he saw in that Skywalker in in Ezra. So to see them uh, cross paths down the road would be interesting, especially if he was in Rogue One. I mean, they basically made the cameo of um, the guy with the white beard in Revenge of the Jedi or Return of the Jedi, they they've claimed that that is Rex. So that brief little cameo there is kind of canon. So it could be the same situation here with Rogue One. So that would be interesting. It's just Ezra to me is just I have no idea what they're going to do with this guy. He's I really don't know.
0: Such an anomaly. Like
1: <laughs> he, he really is. He really is. Cannot... He could pop up there for a second and then maybe leave Jedi. I I just don't know what they do with him.
0: Yeah, it's it's a character. It's a very difficult character. And to place him beyond this season of Rebels, I literally have no idea. The rest of the Ghost crew, you can pretty much guess where they're going to end up. Ezra is such an anomaly. And because he's a Force user, it makes it that much harder to place where he's going to go. And because, like we said earlier, there's no consistency with this character, it makes it, again, one (laughs) step harder as to what are they going to do with this character of Ezra? Right At this point in time, I have... No clue, man. I'm just no at idea. a loss. But overall, this episode's, or these three, four, were fantastic. I thought this just hit the stride of Star Wars Rebels right where I wanted to jump out of the gate in Season 4. We had to wait a couple of episodes to get that. But here, overall, nice ending. Leaves on somewhat of an ominous tone. You've got these technicians joining up. The second Kyber crystal that... The ghost Crews come along, they've destroyed. So, you're getting a lot of this teasing of the Death Star of something bigger. We've got our Phil for Saw They build a little bit of that where Mon Mothman and him kind of broke apart that extremism that we do see in Rogue One. And I like everything in this episode. It's got deep root ties to Rogue One, to a New Hope. It's starting to really build into what we believe this season was going to be. And overall, to me, so far, these two are just fantastic episodes and sit online with some of the best we've seen so far
1: yeah no I uh I completely agree this got me right back on board here I needed this episode or these two episodes coming off the heels of episode one and two uh I Saw Gerrera won me over in this because I haven't really liked anything we've seen from Saw outside of Clone Wars so I'm glad they they kind of finalized his character here um he's great and he he's so close he's so close to the death story he he yeah. knows nobody else knows but he's just he's just not there yet so it's unfortunate He you know he gets taken out by the one thing that he thinks he has an idea of what it is yeah. which is funny but um yeah all around this is a great episode and uh it's cool to see like this full skill rebels team kind of come together and still go off and, and and get this mission down so uh no i i appreciate it i like this one
0: yeah it was a fantastic time the animation is great the score yeah. fell a little short for me. I didn't pull it any times in there where I was kind of blown away with what they've integrated here. But I'm hoping to get a bit more of that as we go. And one thing, we've yet to see Thrawn yet outside of that quick hologram that we saw, uh, I think in episode two or whatever, where he kind of talks a bit about the tactics and that. Are you surprised we haven't seen Thrawn yet? Um,
1: No, no, I think that's okay. Yeah. I think that's okay. I, I, don't, I don't think we even needed to really see him. In, no, it was uh, kind of a useless cameo. Kind of forced Dave. Eh? But um, but he has to start hitting hard. They got to start prompting him pretty soon because this is the final season and um, they got to go Thrawn and go hard.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm really looking forward to it. And we got a couple more episodes coming out next week. And I think we left a bit ambiguous as to how we we're releasing these episodes. And so what we're going to do, we're going to release them every Monday like we did last year. And they'll just be acting as kind of a wrap-up and a prelude to the two new episodes that will be coming out later in the evening. So it's gonna be a week out from each individual episode when we drop these, it just gives us a little time, it spreads us out from the Nerd Room Podcast, which drops every Thursday, and it gives a little bit of soak time for everything going on in the Star Wars world, and it kind of gives you just a short half an hour, well, this episode's an hour because it's two episodes, just to kind of prime yourself and remind you as to what happened in the previous episodes so when you drop into the new episodes, you're refamiliarized with everything that's going on. At least that's how we're justifying it. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) so guys well until next week when we pick up Star Wars rebels alert again i think that's all for us man i'm excited for the season i'm liking what i'm seeing so far hopefully they build the momentum of this episode and give us two more cracking episodes as we come into the final days leading into what will be the winter finale of some sort and the last jedi
1: yeah i'm right there man i'm in full star wars fever right now so the more the better
0: Yeah, and you guys can catch us over on The Nerd Room this Thursday. We're going to be reviewing Thor The Dark World as a prelude into Thor Ragnarok, which also drops this week, and our review will be coming out shortly after that on the following Thursday, November 9th. So look out for the next two weeks on The Nerd Room. We will be talking about Thor The Dark World this week and Ragnarok next week. Tune in to see our opinion on that, and like we said, we'll be coming back to you guys every single Monday for Star Wars Rebels Alert, our weekly podcast after show where we take a short break and discuss a little bit of rebels each and every week all right man until next week we're talking more rebels season four i'm tim i'm troy this has been a nerd room podcast production you can find our hosts tim troy and sunjay on twitter at the nerd rm troy the boy 87 and Sunjabby. for more content from the nerd room check out the nerd don't forget to subscribe to the nerd room on itunes podbean and youtube be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find more podcasts in the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Tumbling Saber, Generation X-Wing, Rogue Squadron Podcast, Skyverse Podcast, and San Diego Sabers. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SWCommonwealth and take your first steps into a larger